All right then. So first, before we start, uh, the Supreme Court thing, you know, just, just to show you that everything you hear is a lie, <laughs> it may be that that was actually true. Nobody knows. But I've already heard that they did that so that they could um, give all the uh, Supremes gun-toting protection. And the, the excuse is going to be because the Roe versus Wade thing is so inflammatory. But the actual reason is, is because they're about to uh, disavow the 2020 election because everybody knows that was illegal. Okay, then I heard, I think one of you guys was sharing that, that, uh, and you could probably tell it better than me, that uh, they, let, they let that opinion out first because Roberts has changed his mind so many times in the past. They wanted to make sure it was in public and he couldn't change his mind anymore. So, you know, and there'll be a dozen more stories, I'm sure, that come out. So you have no idea what's true. And everybody gravitates to the ones that they want to be true. So, you know, it could, it could be false from the get-go. It could be that they didn't write that at all. And some journalist just wrote it, you know, so you never know. So just be cautious of what you hear and assume that everything you hear, if you've heard it on a national platform, be it inter internet or TV or whatever, that it's a lie. Somebody is making money off of it because the way the internet works is, you know, you get paid by the click. So if you can say something so outrageous, 10 million people click it and read it, you've made a million bucks. So they'll say anything. Yeah, so whatever. So you just, you know, the only thing that, that I can guarantee you is true is the book that you brought in. So stay, you know, stay focused on that stuff. Okay, so there's a picture up there. It was one of my favorite far sides, but this isn't it. The original one is different, but you've probably seen it. The original one is pen and ink and it's in New York and you see a giant skyscraper and like out of the 23rd floor, they're hoisting a piano down. And then there's a thought bubble that has a picture of God and his fingers about to hit the smite button because some hapless guy's walking down the sidewalk, right? And it's, I always thought it was funny because it's just not true. That's not the way God works, but that's the way everybody thinks God works. You know, he's just up there smiting people for his own joy and, um, you know, and that's not true. So last week we talked about being sealed by Yahuwah versus being marked by the beast. You can't be both. If you're sealed by God first, you can never be marked by the beast. And conversely, if you let yourself get marked by the beast, you can never be sealed by God. Um, it boils down to, you know, obedience and following his word and instructions. Um, and one of the verses that we started with cited the, the Pesach, uh, unleavened bread, actually, as, you know, when we read the verse, as a sign that you are uh, being obedient to God. And then we looked at every one of the 177 uses of toyaba, which means abomination. Um, and it is, it is like Obama. And I was thinking of that when I heard somebody say this, it's like, oh, 
I'd never heard that before, but he fits the Obam, the abomination thing better than the blessing thing. But anyway, um, you know, so if you engage in any one of those, and all 177 of the uses are not abominations, they're probably half of them are actual abominations. But if you engage in any of those, then you are precluded from being sealed by God. Uh, we read Mishli Proverbs 17, 15, he that justifies the wicked and he that condem condemns the just, even both are abominations to Yahuwah. So all your liberal friends who's, who vote for Democrats and they say, oh, well, I, I don't believe in abortion or you know any of that either, but you know I like their social programs or something. It doesn't matter. If you're supporting the wicked, then you're an abomination to God, means you can't get sealed by God, means you're going to be marked by the beast. So that's not awesome. Mishli 12, uh, 22, lying lips are an abomination to Yahuwah, but they that deal truly are his delight. So all these people that are telling you, oh yeah, they always vote Democrats because they're for the little people. Um, so that's two abominations right there and we haven't even got started. Um, so all this stuff only mutter, muddies the waters. So the question is, are these people identifying as Christians who support all this stuff and all the pastors and all the churches that do that? Are, are, I mean, what's, what's the deal with that? Are they just grossly misinformed or are they uh, doing this on purpose? I mean, certainly they've read the word. They must know what it says and they must know that the claims that they make don't come from scripture. They come from the imagination of their own mind. And Deuteronomy 29, 19 says that, and it comes to pass when he that heareth the words of this earth, that he bless himself in his heart, saying, I shall have peace, though I walk in the imagination of my heart. And it goes on to add drunkenness to thirst. So as it's not bad enough, you're thirsty, you're also drunk, and you're just, you know, these are the imaginations of your heart. God didn't say that. The Bible doesn't say that. You can't support that stuff. If the Bible says... You can't support homosexual marriage. You can't support abortion. You can't support, you know, just about every plank on the democratic platform is an abomination to God. So if you, I mean, it's real simple. If you vote for those people, you're an abomination to God. I'm not saying that they're saying that. So don't, you know, don't send me any emails. Um, we read Mishli 29.9, he that turn away a ear from hearing the Torah even his prayers shall be an abomination. So, and we've, we've, we've run across things like that before that people who uh, are not doing the things that they're supposed to do, even though they say they're Christians, they're going to church, they're not heard by God. It's what? Oh, Mishli 28.9. Good to know. Thank you. Um, <laughs> No, we, we so did this last week. What, what was that prior citation? Was Deuteronomy? Yeah. Well, 2919 is what I have. That's the uh, walk in the imagination of your heart one. Okay. Yeah. Um, and 2819, or 289, I guess, is he that turn away a ear from hearing the Torah. Now think about that. How many churches have you been to where they don't even want to talk about it. You know, you, you don't have to believe that stuff. And he's telling you, I mean, this is, I'm not making this up. You can look it up yourself if I get the citation correct. Um, even their prayers are an abomination. And so you can say, well, I prayed for this, you know, and that, and, it, and, you know, and God fixed it. 
Well, that doesn't prohibit him from fixing it. He's just not answering your prayer. He's doing what he needs to do. Um, so, uh, you know, Shema is that word in Hebrew. Where it's, it's translated as obey or hear, right? And it means to guard. In English, it's usually translated as keep. It means to guard or protect. It's the same thing you see on a police car, which is weird because police don't actually have that job. But to guard and protect. And it means to, you know, to keep them, to hear, to obey. And you can't claim to identify as a Christian if you're not willing to obey and hear the word of God. And that's not just a few verses out of the New Testament. That's the whole word. We read Acts 5.23, we are the witness of these things, and so also the Holy Ghost, whom Elohim hath given to them, what, that obey him. So all those people are saying, oh, I'm led by the Spirit, but they don't, they don't obey the word. Uh, you have to ask what spirit are they being led by. Um, so we should obey. Uh, well, actually, this, that, what is it? It's, it's, it's Acts 5.32. If you go up to the start of that section, it begins, because this is, is Peter coming out of prison. He says, and they, and they were saying, don't preach this to anybody. And his, his remark was, should we obey God or men? So that's how he starts this section. And then you get into the, um, you can't get the spirit unless you're obedient. Uh, so we talked about those who um, do not observe the Sabbath, the feast days, the dietary instructions are called, again, not by me, but by the word, abominations. So that, you know, that's most of Christianity. Um, and, you, you know, most of Christianity doesn't have a problem with the sexual stuff and the you know, the murder and the stealing and the lying and stuff. And oh yeah, yeah, we, we don't do that. But they have issues with all this other stuff, the Sabbath, the feast days, the dietary restrictions, you know, and a million other things. So it doesn't matter if you if you if you think a couple of them are good, but most of them aren't, you're you know, an abomination to God. Um, so there are um, there, there's there is a concept that the Hebrews have when you know they ask themselves the rhetorical question about the dietary laws or the sexual laws or the immorality laws or any of that stuff, and the answer is well, if you can't control your physical appetites, there's no way you'll ever control your spiritual appetites. So when I you know, we talk about, say, the, you know, don't eat bacon, you know, and people get all freaked out about it. Oh, that's legalism. That's legalism. There's a, there's a dozen reasons why you shouldn't eat pork. I mean, it's bad for you. I, you know, contain stuff and all that. But the bigger picture is if, if you can't control yourself just in, in that, there's no way you're going to be able to control your spiritual appetites for anything else. So you're, you're going to get marked by the beast instead of sealed by God. Um, so the, the, the word never tells us, never says anything even close to this, that once the Messiah comes, we don't have to obey any of that stuff anymore, that he's somehow going to take all that away. And it's, um, you know, with the, 
the churches often teach, they won't come right out and say that, but they teach that idea, right? And if that were true, then Yeshua never said anything about that. He didn't act that way. I mean, he, he obeyed everything the Father told him and the disciples as well. So then they'll say, oh, well, it's, you know, it, it, it came at the, at the cross as he was crucified. Then all of a sudden, all those things went away. But the disciples continued to live that way. So if his, his coming or his death or his resurrection was supposed to eliminate all of the stuff that came before, then Yeshua and the disciples all missed it because they continued to live the way the Torah asked them to live. And they did until their deaths. Most of them were crucified or uh, um, you know, killed, murdered, murdered yeah, basically, um, for their faith. So they didn't believe it. And then for 300 years after that, everyone who believed lived that way. They believed everything in the Torah. And then the, the Caesar came, and in 324, um, he changed as much as he could change because he was very anti-Semitic. And that didn't cause the people to change. And in the 400s, he had his Pope write edicts that would kill you or take your property away if you continued to, to act and believe the things of the Torah. And they did. So many were killed and property was taken and all that stuff. And in the 600s, they had to do it again. They wrote more edicts saying you can't do this. Anybody who does these things is banished from the church. So all I'm saying is most people didn't buy it, you know, just because they decided to change it and they decided to say you don't have to do these things. Most people actually read the scriptures and believed the scripture rather than the Pope. And, uh, you know, fr from the very beginning of scripture, from the enlarged bet, he's going to build a house for his son and his son's family, you know, his wife and family, all the way through uh, Malachi, the end of Malachi, and certainly all through the New Testament, you, you see the Messiah, you see Yeshua, right? And he continued the same thing from the very beginning to the very end. He believed the same thing. And when he returned, he still believed it. So it didn't go away when he was crucified, didn't go away when he was resurrected, didn't go away when he was born. It's always been that way. So when you read scripture, that's what it will say. And for you to believe something else is because somebody has told you, oh, that's what it meant. And that's, uh, that's not true. So it's, it's, it's up to each of us to actually read the word and see what it says. And if you find that your church or your pastor, or your friends or your family or, or what you thought to be true in the past doesn't jive with what the word says, then you, you need to consider, seriously consider which one you're going to follow. Are you going to set the word aside because you don't understand it or whatever, or are you going to set the things of man aside? So, and all this was in the context of um, being sealed by God or being marked by the the beast because that's a very popular topic now especially with the vaccine is that the is that the mark and you know blah 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 uh it's not the mark but it 
could be leading to the mark, but that time is here, I guess all I'm saying. So it's, it's perhaps more than any other time in history, it's, it's, we, we need to know, are we sealed by God or are we going to be marked by the, the beast? Because you're going to be one or the other. There's no riding the fence on this. You're going one way or the other. And obviously I would think, um, you know, being sealed by God would be the better option. Um, okay, so let's see. Let's go to First Samuel and see what we're talking about here. First uh, Samuel chapter twelve, verse thirteen. It says, "Now therefore, behold, hold the king, whom you." Oh, this is Samuel when the when the people were saying, "We need a king to be like the others," you know, by like every other country. They had been led by God. That apparently wasn't good enough. They came and said, "We need a king. We want to be like all the other nations." It's like, really? Why? Why? But anyway, this is the response. Now, therefore, the king whom you have chosen and you have desired, and behold, Yahuwah hath set a king over you. And this is his response. If you will fear Yahuwah and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of Yahuwah, then shall both ye and also the king that reigneth over you continue uh, following Yahuwah Elohim. But if you will not obey the voice of Yahuwah and you rebel against the commandments of Yahuwah, then shall the hand of Yahuwah be against you as it was against your fathers. So it's the same story. Um, you, you need to obey the word of God. You don't necessarily have to have a king or a president or a pastor or anybody to tell you that you just need to do it and then he will see god himself will see that things are going good um, in this in verse 14 it says and you will fear yahuwah or if you will fear yahuwah and that is actually the thrust of tonight um, fear seems to be tied to serving him and obeying his voice right if, if you fear, and this is true in our own life, if you fear God, you will tend to do the things he asks you to do. As we grew up, if you feared your father, you would tend to do the things that he asked you to do. Um, it's interesting that word translated as fear is yurah. And I didn't put any of this down, but I did by mistake send this to a bunch of you. So you could actually look it up. It's Yurah, uh, Yud Resh Aleph, or Yud Resh Hey. Um, the end, you know, the A sound at the end can be an A or an H. And it's from the word Yara, which you know, which is from where we get the word Torah. And it means to throw a finger in the direction you should walk. So this, this, this word that's translated in English as fear um, isn't like if, if, if you're walking through the jungle and all of a sudden there's a coiled up hissing cobra fully hooded and ready to strike or, you know, a bear running down the, you know, maybe more likely in our neighborhood, a bear running down the trail or, you know, a lion coming at you, a mountain lion or whatever. That's fear, right? You're going to fear what could happen to you as a result of that angry critter. But that's not this word. There's a Hebrew word for that, and they don't use that, but a few times in scripture. Um, this is this 
this word is different. It's, it's, it's still a terrible, dreadful, terrifying thing. But it's, it's not like the, the cobra who's going to bite you. That, that is complete, complete fear. I mean, you're, you know, you're fearful. This fear is all those things, but it's tied to sort of a reverential idea. So if, if you run across a cobra who's ready to strike, are you going to be fearful or are you going to be reverent? <laughs> you know, you're, you're going to be fearful. Bless you. Being reverent of the cobra won't help you any. Um, and some people, and that's why I started with the uh, far side thing. Some people think God is angry like the cobra or the lion, and he's just waiting to smite you. And you know that's not true because we all regularly disobey him and do things that we need to repent from and I suspect do repent from. And he doesn't smite us. So it's not like the cobra. So this word um, really means to understand the consequence of disobedience. You know, the consequences of disobedience may be like the cobra striking or maybe like the lion eating you or something. And it, it could engender that kind of terrifying fear where you know your life is over. But it doesn't have to. Um, there are, there are things, like for instance, if you're, uh, if you're doing things that makes you an abomination to God, let's say you're engaging in homosexual activity, you're supporting homosexual marriage or something. Those people... God does not smite them immediately, but there is a consequence to their sin. And, you know, one of the most obvious consequences of their sin is their lifespan is 60, 70% of, of, of a heterosexual person. Their suicide rate is two to three times that of a heterosexual person. Their lives are difficult and um, often they can't deal with it. That's a, a direct consequence of being an abomination to God. And he doesn't um, you know, he says, don't do that. And you say, well, I can do that. It's fine. You know, we love each other. We'll be forever for, you know, which they never are. Well, that's not the point. <laughs> the point is, if you're going to live a life like that, you're doing harm to yourself. And he doesn't want you to do harm for yourself because he's the God of life, right? He wants you to live to the greatest extent that you can. He wants you to be happy and useful. And he wants you to focus on the things that are right and correct. And if you don't focus on those things, there are realistic, real-time, real-world results that there's just no avoiding. You know, if you're, if you're going to eat tons of pork, and if you lived in almost any country but this, you would get very sick. And if you live in this country, um, it'll give you heart disease. One of the first things the doctor tells you when you have a heart attack is stop eating pork. You know, it's just, it's not good for you. So you can eat it and God's not going to drop the piano and smite you because you've gone against his wishes. But there's a consequence when you disobey that's not, uh, you know, you, you might tend to separate it from a spiritual consequence, but I would suggest it's not. Um, you know, these truths are, are a fearful thing, really, when you think about it. And, that, and that's what 
God's word says. If, if you can be obedient to him and repentant when you make a mistake, you're good to go. You can be marked by God. If you're not obedient and you're not repentant, I can guarantee you, you're going to be marked by Satan. Um, Shaul said to the house of Israel in the city of Philippi in Philippians 2.12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, and not in my presence only, but uh, now much more in my absence, he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You know, and in the Greek, there's no debate about what fear means. It just means fear, terrifying, desperate, you're afraid, it's fearful. And, and that's the only word that they could use in Greek. And so you're supposed to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. But we've always been taught that that just means, well, have reverence, right? We have reverence for God. We're not afraid of him. In fact, most Christians think, well, he's just going to move into the second bedroom and clean things up a little bit. You know, he's my buddy. But that's, that's not the picture that's drawn. That's not the picture in the Tanakh or in the New Testament. Um, a healthy fear is important. It will cause you to obey. It will cause you to seek out the truth because you understand what can happen if you don't. And it's not that he's going to smite you, but you're going to work yourself into a spot where you're marked by the beast instead of sealed by God. And it's not that that's what God wants for you, but that's what's going to happen. That's the realistic response to what's going to happen if you're unable to be obedient. And if you're unable to be obedient, it's probably because you don't fear him. And you don't fear him because you don't recognize what's actually going to happen to you. It hasn't happened yet, so he must be good with it. No, that's not true. He's giving you sometimes a hundred years to repent and to make good. And that's his grace, right? He's giving you all this time to live and repent and start to obey. But uh -oh. <clears throat> this section in, in Philippians, it starts by saying Yeshua made himself, and you don't have this, of no reputation and took upon him the form of, of a servant to be made into the likeness of man. You know, that doesn't sound like somebody you should fear, but you should fear what should happen to you if you don't respect him and if you don't obey him and if you don't do what he asks. Because he, he did this. He put aside his godliness and it, you know, he made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant or a man made in the likeness of men. That's how much he loves you. And what's your response? You know, you should be fearful of what will happen to you if you don't. So um, he goes on to say that we are, that if we are willing to obey and be blameless and harmless without murmurings in a dark world, that's where we need to be. Got anything to say, Sadie? So today's, you know, church, I don't see, I don't see a lot of the fear of God. 
I see a lot of the, he's my buddy and everything's good. And I don't have to do those things. I only have to do the things that I want to do. Come on, I come, you know, a couple times a month. I tithe a little bit. What else does the guy want? Well, he wants you to be obedient. And if, if most people understood what would happen, they would be obedient. Yeah, he, yeah, you have to know who he is and you have to know of his power and authority. And he, yeah, I know. And it seems simple enough, but we tend to want to make him our buddy. You know, it's not, we, we don't, we want to reap the benefits of the relationship, but we don't want to have to put in the work, right? We don't have to do the hard part. We only want the easy part. And we've seen what happens when he says, depart from me, I never knew you. You're knocking on the gate of the wedding supper. You're outside and you want in and you've done all these things. We did marvelous works in your name. We did all these things. Then he says, depart from me, I never knew you. Well, how is that possible? He never knew you because you never obeyed him. He had no idea who you were. And that's where a lot of... Uh, a lot of the church today is, I think. Uh, Mishli 9.10, the fear of Yahuwah is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. And we've talked a little bit before about, you know, be holy because I'm holy. And some of the, you know, some of the consequences of not being holy, we talked about the earthen vessel just touching something that's unholy or common and it becomes defiled but in order for it to become holy it has to ingest the holy thing and it has to the the smell and the taste has to permeate the vessel well it's a lot easier for us just to touch the unholy and become unclean than it is for us to ingest the truth of who he is and start to live that way but that's the only way there is to be holy so he says, you know, fear of Yahuwah is the beginning of wisdom. Well, amen and hallelujah. But it's, it's fear. It's not friendship. It's you have to know what will happen to you. And that should scare, well, literally scare the hell out of you. Uh, Sirach, who's, uh, it's in the Catholic Bible, which is interesting that this verse is in the Catholic Bible, but it's more or less Ecclesiastes. Uh, chapter 1, verse 13, 14, it says, With him that feareth Yahuwah, it shall go well in the latter end. And the day of his death shall be blessed. And the love of Elohim is honorable wisdom. If you fear God, it will go good with you in the last days. Um, you know, we, we understand that there's a, a close relationship between um, wisdom and knowledge and the fear of God, right? That is wisdom and knowledge, is the fear of God, because it will, it will put you in a position to know everything you can know. Um, but what does it mean to people today? What does it mean to the modern reader? When, when, I mean, think about it for yourself, but think about what you know, your, your pew mate might think when they read this. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, is what it would say in their Bible. What what? What do, they, what do they think that means? What do you think that means? You know, it's, it's, they say, oh, it's reverence of, I'm reverent of the Lord. Well, A, no, you're not. And B, that's not what it means. 
There should be some fear in your life about what will happen if I am not obedient. You know, and again, it's not the fear that God's going to come down and smite me. It's the fear that I'm going to be in a spot at the end of days where I'm knocking on the gate. And he says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you, it says workers of inequity. Depart from me, you who have no Torah, who know no Torah is what it says. Well, you don't want to be in that spot. You know, you hear God loves us unconditionally. Has anybody ever heard that? Is that true? He loves you. He loves you to the very end. But that doesn't save you. If, you, if your son or daughter did something and committed some heinous crime and wound up in jail, it would still be your son or daughter. And you would still love them because they're your son or daughter. You might not like them at that very moment, but they would still be your son or daughter. And there you go. It's the same way here. You know, God loves you. Okay. But that doesn't protect you from the consequences of your actions. If, if you, you know God loves you, but if you choose not to obey, he's not stopping the consequence of your action. You are knocking on the gate from the outside, and he doesn't know who you are. He doesn't want to know who you are because he can't know people like that. Um, when it says being afraid of God is difficult um, because we don't understand the context. You know, when we think of the angry cobra or lion or, you know, some critter or like that, it's the same word, but it's kind of a different idea. Um, let me, let me, uh, Okay, let me read you this. Teleim, Psalms 133 and 4, and this won't be on the screen. If you, Adonai, should mark inequities, O Yahuwah, could, could you stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. There is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. That's the difference. The cobra, the bear, the lion, the carjacker, three guys try to jack your car with guns. In all those things that create fear, it's the same word in English, but it's not the same word in Hebrew. This word in Hebrew, C.S. Lewis actually uh, captured it pretty good in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. He said, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I'd thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he's not safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. And that's the difference. The cobra is, if the cobra kills you, it's, you know, it's nothing personal. It's, that's what they do. If the lion eats you alive, it's because you were in the wrong spot at the wrong time. It was nothing personal. That's just what lions do. The carjackers, if they kill you, again, it's nothing personal. They just wanted your car. But this is different. He's the king. He's good. And you should fear him. But he's good. And that's the difference we don't get in English. And it just, 
it angers me that in English, you've seen the unabridged English dictionary that's this thick, right? It has, I don't know, 4 million words in it. Because in English, we have to have a word for everything. We can't just, you know, get, get a general gist of it. In Hebrew, there's only 432 words. And then you add them and you subtract them and put on prefixes and suffixes and infixes. And you can make them say, you know, more things. But they don't need 4 million words. But even with 4 million words, we don't have the two words for fear that they have in Hebrew. We only have one. We don't have a word for this, this fear, this abject terror, but he's good and he's just. So you know the power and the authority he has is not going to be misused. You're not going to be accidentally killed by the cobra or torn apart by the lion or murdered by the carjacker because this fear comes with the goodness of God. And that's the difference. And there's no, there's no word for that in English. We're looking for a safe, easy God. And they give it to us on Sundays. You know, he's, he's our good buddy. He's got donuts. You know, he's just, he's, he's a good guy. And he's going to save all of you people. It doesn't matter that you don't obey. Because, you know, that stuff was just for the Jews anyway. I mean, <laughs> that's literally a lie from the pit of hell. That is designed to get people to not be in a relationship with God. And it's unfortunate that that's what you see in so many churches. Yirmiyahu, Jeremiah 5, starting in 21, we passed a couple of those. That's right. Hear now this, O foolish people, and without understanding, which have eyes and see not, and have eyes or ears and hear not. Fear ye not me, say Yahuwah? Will not tremble at my presence and have placed the sand, have placed the sand for the bound of the sea by a perpetual decree that it cannot come past, though the waves thereof toss themselves, they cannot prevail, though they roar, they cannot pass over it. But this people hath a revolting and rebellious heart. They are revolted and gone. Neither say in their heart, let us now fear Yahuwah Elohim let us give rain uh, uh, that giveth rain, both former and latter rain in his season. He reserveth unto the appointed weeks of the harvest. His power and authority is all around us. He describes the sea, you know, and I've lived on the beach, right? Every moment of every day for 6,000 years, the waves come and they beat against the ocean or against the sand. And then they go back out to sea. They can't get past that boundary he set up. Same thing with the rains. You always get the early and the latter rains because that's what makes your car. There's, you know, it, it's, he puts that in motion. You see his authority everywhere. You see the deer in the front yard and all the plants that grow and the sun and the moon. And, you know, I mean, all the things that he's done, all of his creation, it's inescapable. You can't not see it. And you can't not appreciate it. But how is it possible not to fear him? He has that much power and that much authority over everything. He certainly has that much power and authority over you. But we don't fear him. 
but we should. Devarim 5.29. Oh, that there were such a heart in them that they would fear me and keep my commandments as always, that it might be well with them and their children forever. In the very beginning, he says, if you just fear me, if you, if you do the things that I ask to do, if you understand, if you don't do them, there are consequences, not necessarily from me. There will be consequences that you'll create for yourself that will be bad. So let's, let's just do this. Why don't you just do what I ask? Just fear me and it will go well for you and for your children. But we don't. We fight against it all the time. So what are we supposed to do? Devarim 31, chapter, verse 11. And when Yisrael come to appear before Yahuwah Eleheka in place which he shall choose, thou shalt read this Torah before all of Yisrael in their hearing. Gather the people together, men and women and children, and they stronger um, and they stranger within thy gates that they may hear and they may learn and they may fear Yahuwah Eleheka and observe to do all the words of this Torah. And that their children, which have not known anything, may hear and may learn to fear Yahuwah Eleheka, as long as they live in the land, whether you goest over the Jordan where you possess it. Why don't we do that? Why don't we teach that fear to our children? Or do we? Why don't we believe that fear? Why do we just live the way we want to live? But we don't. Uh, Ecclesiastes, Sirach, this is actually from Ecclesiastes 12, 13, 14. When all Israel came to appear, is come to appear before Yahuwah Eleheka in the place which he shall choose. Did I just read this? Thou shalt read this Torah before all Israel. Okay, I just read that. So that's wrong. It's been one of those days. Um, That's too bad. What 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 what's it what's Ecclesiastes 12, 12, 13 and 14 actually say? Yeah, that's what I meant. That's the one. That's the one. So read that again. Read that again. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every word into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. Okay, so this is the conclusion of the matter. And this is the whole deal. And the conclusion of the matter is that we are supposed to guard and protect and fight for the things, his, his instructions, his judgments, his statutes, his commandments. That's how the whole thing winds up. And in the latter days, that's how it's going to be. The peop, there's going to be the people marked by the beast and the people sealed by the God. And sealed by God are the people who will have obeyed, who have been obedient and repentant. Nobody's perfect. But if, you're, you, know, if you understand the word and you know what he's asking, you know when you transgress it, you can seek his forgiveness. And because God is good, he'll give it to you. Or you can be on that other group who never bothered to learn what his instructions were, who believed the world or their father or their pastor or their friends 
when they said it doesn't matter. You don't have to keep, you don't have, you can eat pork all you want. You don't have to obey the feast. You know, we worship on the day we want to worship. Those things are fine. It was all done away with. Well, that's not true. <laughs> and that's setting you up for one of these, there's a consequence of disobedience. And obviously I haven't been expressing it very well tonight, but that consequence is not God pushing the smite button. You are walking yourself into being marked by the beast. And he loves you. He doesn't want you to do that. And there's a very simple solution. Just obey what he says. Just do what he asks you to do and life will go well for you. Okay, read that one more time. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. Thank you. Is that, that is Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and 14. You didn't have to scratch that out. You just had to get the right verse. <laughs> I'm not good with technical computer things. And today was not a particularly good day. <laughs> but that's the whole duty of man, to guard and protect, to do those things. And it's vitally important, I think, that we do them. But the enemy is, is, is working overtime. And what does he do? He distracts you. <laughs> that's all he has to do. He doesn't have to. He has no smite button. There's nothing that he can really do to you other than distract you. And you see the things on the news every day. And, you know, like I just gave you three possible examples of this uh, Supreme Court thing. Well, I doubt if any of them are true. Those are all just distractions. And they've orchestrated the New World Order and the UN, you know, 2030. And I mean, all this endless stuff. And you see the things that are going on, they don't even make sense. How, how, can, how can it make sense just to open your borders and let anybody come across? How can it make sense to stop drilling in your own country when you've got the gas and buy it from third world banana republic that hates you? How can you just leave $80 billion worth of weapons with the biggest terrorist group in the world? How can you do any, none of these things make sense. And the only reason they're out there is because the enemy is trying to distract you. He's trying to get us so wound up and it works, you know, it's, particularly effective, uh, especially amongst Christians, you know, God-fearing people. There was a day when God-fearing meant a believer in Yahuwah, but now it's just, you know, nobody knows what it means. He distracts you, and you, you're busy worrying about all these things that are happening in the world. Did you know, Mr. Abortion Protester, that prior to Roe versus Wade, there were a million babies aborted every year. And then at Roe versus Wade, you know how many babies were aborted? A million or so the first couple of years. It didn't change the abortion. All it did, I guess, you know, all you could say is it maybe made it safer for the mothers, but it didn't, it didn't save anybody. It didn't kill anybody. It's a distraction. And we get all wound up about, well, and there, sh you know, there shouldn't be abortions. But I guarantee if they make it illegal, there's still going to be abortions. 
except it'll be even more heinous than it is now. And that place, I, I wasn't aware of statistics before Roe. Right, I wasn't either until recently. But, but I do believe it went up as high as 1.6 million. Yeah. Well, yeah, maybe. But basically, it's just a distraction. You know, because if people want to get an abortion, they're going to get it. It doesn't matter if it's legal or illegal. Right. And, and even if uh, this thing with Roe versus Wade is absolutely true and some, you know, commie sympathizer leaked it to the deal and, it, you know, and that's it just still doesn't mean anything. All it means is the states will get to choose, which is what the Constitution says should have been the way it was from the beginning. And what's going to happen? 22 states are going to say, no, you can't do that. And 28 states are going to say, absolutely. So, yeah, forced pregnancy. I mean, see, that's just a distraction. That's totally insane. That's not what it means. So if you live in Texas and you need an abortion and they can't do it in Texas, all you do is get in your car or a Greyhound bus and drive over to Louisiana or, or New Mexico. New Mexico is a rabid liberal state. There you go. See? And you get to go to Disneyland. So <laughs> what could be better, right? So right now, the way the law is, you can get an abortion in Texas. If they change, if the Supreme Court actually does this, and you're in Texas and need an abortion, you can be flown to California and go to Disneyland and get an abortion. So it's even better, really. I mean, all this stuff is just a, it is a distraction. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've always that's always kind of freaked me out. You get your little children, and there's some guy, or you don't know what it is, guy, girl, could be anything in this costume with their hands all over your kid. And I'm like, well, I don't know, that doesn't seem right. But, but well, anyway, um, so that was kind of going to be that's the abbreviated version of and poorly done, I might add, of what I was trying to say is look, fear of we need to fear the fear God. But it's not like you, it's not the same fear of the cobra in front of you. It, he is good. You don't need to fear an immoral judgment or an accidental smiting or anything like that. Just obey him and it will go well for you, both in this life and in the next one. So, all right, that's what we've got. Now we've got Michael to share some stuff.